simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist's Private Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about being addicted to accumulation, mm. and we're going to answer a bunch of your surprise questions. But first, let's read some more about less. Mm. I have two articles for you today, Ryan, that I wanted to expand on. One has to do with asceticism, 21 principles to live a radically simple life. So we'll talk about what asceticism is. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, Alabama, if you could pull up on your computer the Wikipedia entry for asceticism, we'll get to that in a moment. But first, I'm going to read this private essay from Kapil Gupta. This is called The Knowledge Game, and I just wanted to talk about it a bit because he talks about accumulation. And so I thought this would be the perfect place to kick off this episode, which is really about being addicted to accumulation. The intellectual gains knowledge for the purpose of showmanship. For him, knowledge is a social contest, a knowledge that is used to compete, a knowledge that serves a sense of superiority, a knowledge that bolsters one's identity, leaves one empty and enslaved. Humans have adopted the destructive habit of accumulation. Mm an accumulation of knowledge, an accumulation of facts, an accumulation of materials, an accumulation of years added to their existence. The human is addicted to accumulation. For accumulation gives one the sense that he is more. The more they have, the more they are. Mm. Intellectual sparring is mud wrestling. Read more, accumulate more. Watch more, accumulate more. Discuss more, accumulate more. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. Accumulation makes one heavy rather than wise. Understand this. Man's problems arise from what he has accumulated rather than from what he has not yet accumulated. Worldly knowledge makes one more worldly. Spiritual knowledge makes one more spiritual. These have nothing to do with truth. An intellectual knows so, so many things. He can recite X, Y, and Z. He can tell others of his knowledge. He can can bathe in the notion that he is, quote, intelligent. But all the while, away from those who would, who would give him praise, he lives in wanting. Mm. He lives in hoping. He lives shallow and empty. Let's linger on that for a second. Shallow and empty. Mm. The wanting. By the way, hope is just a... Fancy way to say want or desire, yeah, right? right? It's uh, it's the commonly accepted, like, this could never be a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. Yeah. It is hope. It is a form of wanting, right? And and sometimes it's really useful. And sometimes it's really detrimental. It depends on the circumstance. Yeah. Don't and, get your hopes up is a, is a saying for a reason. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, unfortunately, it's often muttered by pessimists in a way where mm. they are trying to bring you down. Yeah. But also one does not need to get their hopes up is yeah. maybe the better way to to 
approach that in a less um, dogmatic way. But getting back to this essay here, Ryan, he lives in wanting. He lives shallow and empty. The accumulation and the need for more, more, more is what actually makes us empty. Mm. The accumulation hollows us out because we think we become our things and we start projecting ourselves, our identities, our purpose on the external world, whether it's a relationship or a material possession or a career. If that is who I am, then who am I in here? I've been emptied out. Mm. He goes on to say, the currency of the social environment, of the intellectual, is knowledge. But what a counterfeit currency it is. The intellectual man of knowledge is no match for the idiot who is free. Mm. <laughs> man, I've never wanted to be an idiot so much in my life. The, the freedom... <laughs> is a fascinating thing because that's another thing. We think we can buy the things that give us more freedom. Mm. We were just talking to Danny. Maybe we can get him on the mic. I'm out. We'll, we'll move Alabama aside here in a second. And Danny just bought a new car after he's had both of his cars stolen since moving to Los Angeles. Dude. From his garage. I can't believe you haven't had, you've had no knock on wood. You've, you've had no incidents with cars, but like I've been hit twice. Danny has both of his cars stolen. <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people here. Yes, indeed. Oh, by so, the way, I, I want to say something about freedom. I think that the the true kind of freedom or the freedom that I desire is the freedom from desire. Yeah. Like that's that's freedom. That's a perfect segue into our next bit. Where I'm going to talk to you about asceticism. Okay. But first, Danny, you um, had two cars that were stolen. And uh, went for a while, trying not to replace it. And then, of course, the societal pressure, everyone's asking you, what are you going to get? What kind of car are you going to get? I miss this. You had both. I knew the one. So Amy's got, Amy's stolen, got stolen December 1st. Right. And then mine got stolen. My personal got stolen, I think, the first week of March. Did you Have you That's installed a camera insane, outside your garage man. by chance? No, our apartment has cameras, tons of cameras, which actually has helped with the insurance claims. Yeah. but we can put together footage because i'm wondering if it's like the same person going back and like i don't think so no the cameras really helped him relive the theft <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> when i want suffering i just review the just tape review the cameras. <laughs> oh buddy uh and so <laughs> amy where's the footage at I'm a little too happy right now <laughs> so danny he uh, he does all of our TikToks and, and photos, all the beautiful photos photos you see on the thumbnails, which Jordan and Dave have designed for us. And um, yeah, so after getting his car stolen, it becomes an excuse to upgrade. Ooh. And he felt the pressure to upgrade and take on a car payment. So the average car payment in America is nearing $600, right? Wow. Really? Yeah. It is nearing $600. That's wild. And... It's 83 months, I believe. This is a, a Ramsey stat. Man. We, I mean, I, I would never, ever, 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 ever go into debt for a car again. For 83 months, for sure. I just thought about this. There are some, I've been looking at in the future, I want. I need to upgrade my mattress. I've had my mattress for a long time, nearly I a just decade. just upgraded mine. Okay. Well, I didn't upgrade it. I actually downgraded it. But anyway, well, anyway, there's a company called Essentia that um, makes 
mattresses for people with multiple chemical sensitivities. And mm. anyway, they are higher in mattresses. Right? Okay. Some of them are the price of a car. Oh yes, not like a not like an expensive car, no, but, but like, like a, you're talking five figures. Or or, or, or maybe, high four figures. Or high four figures. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I guess, I mean, I have never spent five figures on a mattress, but I've seen them at five figures. And wow. I actually thought to myself, like, oh, wow. Like, if it's that awesome of a mattress, you're spending a third of your life in that bed. Yeah. It's probably something to not skimp out on. Well, it just got me thinking that I'm not going to spend five figures on a mattress. I could understand why maybe a professional athlete who has a bunch of expendable right. income would. Yeah. However, it got me thinking that, well, wait a minute, but we spend five figures on cars all the all time. All the time, yeah. And how long am I in my car? 15 minutes a day? Yeah. yeah. Half an hour a day? Maybe if I'm going back and forth to work and I work a corporate job, there was times where I was in it two or three hours Four mm. hours a day, mm -hmm. but I'm in my bed more than twice as long. Yeah. And so we're buying these $300 mattresses and these $30,000 cars. The mattress would radically improve my life over the, especially some of the mattresses I'm looking at, which have like EMF blocking and, mm. and, and some other stuff. Anyway, I was thinking of bringing um, the sleep expert on the podcast to talk about sleep. Oh, wow. Uh, someone from Essentia who does the uh, studies on people's sleep basically because we have it's one of the things that if you're looking for low-hanging fruit to improve your life it's improving your sleep we always talk about diet and exercise and then the the sleep part there's a lot of information out there but i'd like to cut through the clutter and get to it here's one other way to improve your life though by not going into debt so right. danny you decided uh maybe i should just get a a subtle car payment, a light one. Yeah. Well, right when I got the car stolen, you mentioned upgrade. Everyone's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. But hey, insurance, you're, we have a good down payment. Yeah. And I'm like, like now uh, you got a good excuse. Like that was immediately. And, and thankfully, I kind of went through that in December when Amy's car got stolen. We had that conversation because that was the default setting in my head. Well, down payment. I'll get into a car. What can we kind of afford monthly? Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wait, wait, I'm just, that's default. We don't have to do that. Right. Yeah. There's used cars. And although the market is crazy, you still can buy a car um, and not have a payment. Yeah. So I was thinking, what do I do to replace the car? Once mine got stolen, lit on fire, it was toast. So I got a, I knew I was going to get a check. And I started talking to people uh, my mother, my grandparents, and and they're kind of on the side of, well, that's a good down payment. And then my dad was like, well, can you just get a car? Like, do you, you, don't, you don't really need a payment, do you? And I'm like, no, you're right. And then I was like, hey, everyone just needs to, I don't want any opinion. What do I want? Mm. What's going to feel best to me? Mm. Is it a really nice car with all the features? Am I willing to feel bad about the payment? Or would I rather have a quote-unquote worse car and not have a payment. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather drive a worse car yes. and not have to worry about a payment mm. than have a great car with all this, this, and that. Feel cool, windows down, you know, yep. the commercial type feeling you get. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that payment. I'd rather not have that. Mm. Well, the truth is that the better car in your scenario would be a worse car for you. Yes. And that's what we don't think about. We think of, well, the car objectively is better because it's more expensive. It has more features. It's got the Bluetooth. It's brand new, lower miles, whatever it is. 
And now it's, this must be better. Mm-hmm. And in one respect, if you just look at the specs, it has better specs, right? But we don't look at everything else on the other side of the ledger. Mm. How much stress is it going to add to my life? How tether am I going to be now if Dan, if I'm Danny? Because now he has to take on a couple extra jobs a month. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But then it becomes a big deal because for the next 83 months, you have to take on a couple extra jobs a month that you don't want to take on. Mm. And you might be doing it just to make money to pay for the better car, which certainly feels like the worst option to me. Yeah, mm. and also, now that we've gotten two cars stolen, there's a thought in my head while I'm about to go to bed. Damn, I wonder if I'm going to wake up and the car is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Because it's happened twice now. Oh, my God. Now, if I had signed up for a $20,000 car loan, my, that worry would be so much higher than what it is right now. Yeah. Because, well, what if a car gets stolen? I owe money on it. I have to pay off that. Like, I don't want to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I bought a worse, quote-unquote, worse car, better car for me. It's paid for. I have comprehensive. If it gets stolen, I'm in the same place I was. Mm-hmm. Two months ago. Yeah. Dude, I remember uh, when I bought that, like, you know, fancy Toyota sedan, like, with the Bluetooth and the heated seats and all that stuff, man. Uh-huh. I uh, I forget what my payment was. I think it was around four, it was around four or five hundred bucks. This um, is over a decade ago. Yeah, I was going to say, this is back in, like, 2008. But uh, the first month... I was like totally worth it. Second month, I'm like, yeah, it's worth it. But then like third month, I'm like, oh no, what did I do? Fourth payment, like, oh my God, I have, you know, 56 more of these payments to go. And now you're upside down as well. Yeah, but but I'll tell you is when I was in Montana driving that Corolla around, I remember like acknowledging I had this crappy car. But it was, but the freedom that I got, the freedom from debt that I, that I got and the feeling from that, like you know, driving around Montana, it's like the the scenery isn't going to be any more or less beautiful in a nicer car. Yeah. And yeah, like, but, but that, the feeling of freedom from debt in that, in that for all intents and purposes, crappy Corolla versus the super fancy, nice Toyota I had with the debt. Like I would much rather have the freedom from debt. So great decision, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Bravo. I'm yeah. thankful. Alabama, hey, can we talk about note. asceticism? Oh, right, quick. Side note. <laughs> You know what the they say the least expensive uh, anti theft is when you're purchasing a car. What's, What's that? that? Get a manual transmission. <laughs> Only about one percent of the population can actually drive a manual transmission. That's why, like in the L.A. area, mm. you rarely hear about people having supercars stolen because almost all of them are manuals. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Did I tell you about how I learned how to drive manual? My, uh, my, I can't even find my manual. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, all right. So I was working at a grocery store. I bought this car for like $300. It was a Nissan Datsun. Yes, a Nissan Datsun. People are always like, was it a Nissan or a Datsun? I'm like, no, they came together for like two years and they made a <laughs> Nissan Datsun. Anyway, um, it was manual. My mother was supposed to uh, come pick me up. I was going to drive her car home, which was which was automatic. And she was going to drive my manual car home and then i was going to learn like in the back roads how to like drive this uh-huh. and um for reasons totally within her control <laughs> Uh-oh. she could not come and pick me up <sighs> and uh she was just like she's like just she's like just you know just make sure you're giving it more gas uh when you let go of the clutch and dude like i learned how to drive a manual car home like on the way home from that 
from that job. Like, well, what's crazy it was it was parked in you know perpendicular to the sidewalk, nose in. Uh huh. So I like put it in reverse. I'm like, like stopped. All right, all right. Started back up. I'm like, all right, got to give it more gas. Like I'm peeling out in this grocery store parking lot, going in reverse, dude. And then I only stalled out like three or four more times. But by the time I got home, I I totally figured out how to drive it. So you're saying you could definitely steal a manual transmission. That's exactly car. what I'm trying to say. So uh, it doesn't matter what car you get, Danny. I'm taking it. <laughs> <laughs> Malabama, let's talk about asceticism. Can you talk to me about the top level definition or description of asceticism? Asceticism is a lifestyle characterized by abstinence from sensual pleasures, often for the purpose of pursuing spiritual goals. Ascetics may withdraw from the world for their practices or continue to be part of the society, but typically adopt a frugal lifestyle characterized by the renunciation of material possessions and physical pleasures and also spend time fasting while concentrating on the practice of religion or reflection upon spiritual matters. Ooh, so it's not necessarily being a hermit. Not necessarily, but it's but it's removing yourself. So it sounds like Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, growing up in that religion, mm-hmm. air quotes. Um, I uh, you know was encouraged to remove myself from the world, but there were very wealthy Jehovah's Witnesses, and yeah, yeah, their headquarters, um, literally like uh, so many things, gold plated, and yeah. Anyway, anyway, yeah. So long story short, uh, so I was I had that life of removing myself from the world, but this is removing yourself from the world, and then basically these worldly desires, especially when when it comes to um, money and things and possessions. Yes, yeah. It's about not pursuing pleasure for the sake of pleasure itself mm. is the way that I look at asceticism. But also there is a renunciation aspect that I don't really buy into. And I'll explain why here. But you'll often hear me talk about how Ryan and I aren't monks or ascetics. We are minimalists, which is different from being an ascetic. However, Mm -hmm. there are these different principles within asceticism. And uh, do you know Musashi? He was a samurai in the 16th century, I believe. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he wrote what is called the path of aloneness. Mm. And there are 21 really simple principles that I would consider to be ascetic principles. Mm. And I wanted to read those to you today. I figure we could talk about these. Yeah. And I don't want to, I want to be careful not to prescriptionize these things, but to learn lessons from them and see how some of them may be applicable, how I might want to take on this principle, but not this one or aspects of this principle to have a better understanding of what is making me suffer or making me miserable in certain instances. Mm. And so the first one of his 21 principles, we'll put a link to this in the show notes. Number one, accept everything just the way it is. Mm. These are also called the 21 ways of the samurai, I believe. But yeah, I was going to ask. So is, there's no religion backing this. This is no. He, I believe, was a Buddhist, but there okay. is not a religious component necessarily. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. So this is from Musashi. Number one is accept everything just the way it is. There's sort of the, that's like the serenity prayer on steroids in a way. Yeah. It's not like grant me the courage to change the things I can. No, it's simply like everything is how it is. And there's a, a saying in, 
popular colloquialism in today's vernacular. It is what it is. Mm, yeah. But really accepting things for the way that they are. And mm-hmm. we were talking about this on the minimal episode, but I thought we could dive in a little bit more here when it comes to wanting other people's veneration or validation or approval. If they approve of you, they approve of you. I'm mm-hmm. accepting it for how it is. If they don't, I'm accepting it for how it is. Number two, and this is a big one for me that I um, that has really just helped me with respect to my own peace and contentment. Number two is do not seek pleasure for its own sake. Mm. And we call this the pursuit of happiness. But of course, the pursuit of happiness is the path to unhappiness. Yeah. And so nothing wrong with pleasure. Pleasure is a wonderful byproduct of mm-hmm. many things. Yeah. But when we're constantly seeking pleasure, we're scrolling through TikTok and Instagram more, 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 more dopamine, more butts, more cars, more music, more, more, more. Mm-hmm. It's making us miserable. It ups our threshold for more pleasure. And it leads to a hedonic lifestyle Mm. that just is not sustainable long term. And that's why we feel that dopamine dump. We feel drained. We feel empty. We feel lonely, even if we're not alone. Mm. Number three, do not, under any circumstance, depend on partial feelings. Partial feelings. Like I'm partial to this person, this house, this car. Oh, okay. And... The, the feelings, nothing wrong with having feelings, but when we allow all of our emotions to guide us, we become like a balloon. If you blow up a balloon mm-hmm. and then just you're holding on to it, that's fine. But as soon as you let it go, your feelings whip you around the room. You have no idea where they're going to take you. Mm. Number four, think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. Maybe another way to say that is don't take yourself too seriously. It's not all about you. Yeah. Number five, be detached from your desire your whole life long. Good luck prescribing that to anyone, right? Because really what Musashi is saying here is the more we desire, the more imprisoned we are, the more attached we become, Mm. the more we cling, the more we cling, the more we suffer. It's a rather Buddhist perspective, right? He takes it a step farther and sort of, these aren't prescriptions from him. Mm -hmm. He wrote these last week of his life to sort of really display how he had lived his life up until that point. Mm. Number six, do not regret what you have done. Number seven, never be jealous. I think these two sort of go together, right? They become wasted emotions in a way. Mm -hmm. Now, we did a episode recently about consumer regrets. And we Mm -hmm. talked about the way to let go of regret. It's pretty simple. It's to learn the lesson from the regret. As soon as you have an actual lesson that you feel viscerally, not just intellectually, the regret tends to dissipate. Jealousy is similar in the respect that it is a wasted emotion. Jealousy might mean, oh, Ryan had an achievement. Now I wish I also had that achievement, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm not complete. I'm not as good as him. He is better than me mm. because of that achievement. Yeah. Anytime I feel jealousy, it I just have to stop and like look at that symptom instead of like fostering that jealous feeling. It's more of like, why am I jealous? Like mm. what am I getting upset about? What am right. I what am I feeling 
like I'm missing out on? What is it? What is this emotion saying about me and my current circumstance? And that, um, it, it still is a wasted emotion, but, um, it is a valuable symptom for me. This is the multi-layer why mm -hmm. that we were talking about. Yeah. Why am I jealous? And I think if we work through, that's one of those things we never do. We don't ever stop to ask why. Mm -hmm. It's the reason we start our last film, Less Is Now, with the question. And it's a disguised question. How might your life be better with less? Mm. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's really like, why would you benefit from minimalism? Why would you benefit from simplifying? Mm -hmm. What is your why? And because as soon as you understand that why, it peels back these layers and it's these, the multi-layered why. So why am I jealous of if my wife is attracted to another person? Was because maybe it says something about me. Okay, what does it say about me? Mm -hmm. That I am not enough for her? Well, that's actually true. Yes, I'm not enough for her. She's already enough. I can't complete her. She is complete without me. Mm. Now, that goes back to what he said earlier. Think lightly of yourself. I've been taking myself too seriously. That's why yeah. I'm jealous. Mm -hmm. But recognizing as human beings, we have physical attractions to other human beings. Mm -hmm. And we are also complete on our own. And so jealousy doesn't make a whole lot of sense when I start peeling back those why layers. And we can even go deeper and deeper and deeper. Number eight, never let yourself be saddened by a separation. Hmm. Now, that could be saddened by a separation with another person. You're spending time apart from someone or maybe mm -hmm. someone has just gone a different way and they're no longer talking to you. Yeah. Or it could just mean that I'm separated from a thing I yeah. used to have. My right. car got stolen. Right. And you can be saddened by that. But what he's saying is that doesn't, that sadness is not productive in the sense that, and he's not saying renounce sadness. Mm -hmm. You can experience sadness, right? Right. But too often in our culture, we also seek out certainty through these emotions that make us feel sad, lonely, miserable, mm. et cetera. I'll do a few more here. Number nine, resentment and complaint are appropriate neither for oneself nor others. <laughs> the complaining thing is an odd one because it often helps us, we think, build camaraderie with other people. Oh, can you believe the stupid politician did that stupid thing? Oh, yeah, I mean, I hate stupid politicians and stupid yeah. things. You know what else I hate? Right. Yeah. And... And now we're bonding over our own complaints, mm, right? Yeah. And what that does is it, it, in Australia, what do they call it? Tall poppy syndrome. You're familiar with this term? No. So like quite often, like it's the, one of the ways that their cultures are different from American culture where we tend to celebrate the tall poppies. Mm. But in a, in a field, you actually cut down the poppies so they're all the same size. Well, it, culturally in Australia, they tend to cut down other people who... Head, whose head gets too big or their achievements get too big or whatever, right? I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I would avoid insulting other people to tear them down so that my building is the same height as them, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Number 10, do not let yourself be guided by the feeling of lust or love. Now, those are two different feelings. Mm -hmm. But love is to see someone who for who they are without trying to change them. Mm -hmm. 
And so in a way, that can't guide you anywhere because you're already there. Mm. It actually takes you back to number one. Accept everything just the way it is. That's mm. actually love. Mm. It doesn't drag you anywhere. In fact, it helps you be peaceful and content exactly where you are. But then the lust piece is, that's one of the harder ones. Lust is a type of desire. It tends to be sexual desire. Although we've, we have lust for consumer products now. Mm. You know, it's a problem. We refer to the iPhone as it being sexy. Yeah. It's a sexy gadget, right? Yeah. Mm. That's a type of lust, right? And lust makes us do some really irrational, irresponsible, harmful things. Yeah. We've both done some crazy things for lust. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the podcast. <laughs> all right, let's do a few more here. Number 11, in all things have no preferences. Ooh, that is that one. I find tremendous wisdom in that, but I am certainly nowhere near being able to actualize that. Yeah. But I think of our friend Colin Wright. He's the closest thing I know to an ascetic. He has very few preferences. Like I remember we'd be on the road and he just he would go with the flow. Mm -hmm. He would have no preferences the same way a river has no preference. It simply goes where it goes, and the experience is whatever it is. Yeah. And Colin leads an amazing life because he has very few preferences. So here's another way to think yeah. about that. Mm -hmm. The more preferences we have, the more discontent comes along with those preferences. Yeah, the less peace we have. And you know, there's something about you know, uh, having few preferences and him being able to fall asleep anywhere like not only you know because he uh he travels a lot so you know he finds ways to like fall asleep like there's the cutest picture of him on my instagram where he like fell asleep in the in the back of uh the corolla when we were on tour yeah and he looks like this if you're watching the video version he's like this yeah and i'm like, like robot shut off yeah he, yeah his batteries ran out but like but but there's something about him being at peace that allows him to fall asleep like that yes in fact, that's yeah. actually the next point here. Number 12 is be indifferent to where you live. Mm. Now, you can take this one of several ways. One is like Colin, he could live literally. He's lived everywhere. Dude, he lived in uh, Wichita. He lived in Wichita. He lived in Iceland. He lived in India. Lived he lived up a camper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and he lived, for the, by the way, for two months straight, he lived on Greyhound buses. Eight. He brought Yona, or he wrote a book about this called Iceland, India, Interstate. Yeah. So he lived in Iceland for four months. Then he lived in uh, India for four months, brought Yona with him. Yeah. And then he said, I'm going to show Yona America, but the real America. Mm. Let's take her on a Greyhound bus to all f 48 contiguous states. And so he spent two months living on Grey. And so he really epitomized being indifferent to where you live. And when you are that indifferent, then everything is a surprise. You don't need all of these comforts. So any comfort you do get mm. is you're overwhelmed with, with that as opposed to needing it, clinging to it. Mm. Oh, number 13, do not pursue the taste of good food. So this is the asceticism <laughs> I'm not really down with. But, yeah, uh, dude, that's like, that's one of the only maximal things I have in my life. <laughs> I have a pristine diet and it's really, um, 
it's really well in fact i i got this here i printed this text out maybe this would be a good time to read this uh from don she texted us and said hey um what'd you say oh yeah um josh try vitamin b12 if you're still feeling low energy you ha- may have an mthfr gene mutation uh, yes, I do. Uh, 60% of humans have that. And it just means you can't detox toxins very well. But it also means that out of necessity, my diet is pristine. I don't remember when I said I was low energy, probably when I was dealing with some illness and I'm feeling appreciably better. My energy has been through the roof lately. In fact, l- last night I had to stay up really late. And e- even today, I didn't get much sleep. I feel I feel great. Yeah. And so awesome. Um, you're right, though. B12, there are a bunch of other things that have helped me out. Vitamin A for energy in your immune system, which you can supplement with, or you can get from organ meats, or B12 you can get from muscle meats, uh, all the B vitamins. I've also been doing a lot of sunlight, spending time outside, but I have a pristine diet, and it is much more about nourishment than it is about entertainment Mm -hmm. or pleasure, Mm -hmm. right? For me, food can be pleasurable, but it for me, it can't be the pleasure has to be a byproduct of food for me yeah. because of this, these autoimmune symptoms and disease that I, that I deal with. Um, if I don't have a pristine diet, I feel it immediately. Yeah. I pay the price and for other people, they can eat seed oils for many decades and eventually it may give them cancer, but you don't pay that price right away. If I told you next time you had canola oil, you would get cancer. There's no way you'd ever eat canola oil again, right? Yeah. And yet that's not the way that food works. There's this delayed effect. But for me, it's much less delayed. Mm -hmm. I can eat something right now and feel miserable two hours from now. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, pursuing the pleasure in food often leads us to a place where we live an unhealthy life. When I was morbidly obese, it was all about, so, so I, I get what he's saying here. Do not pursue the taste of good food because that's what I did when I was young and I was morbidly obese. I was the fattest kid you knew, Ryan. Mm. And I pursued only pleasure. Now, if I ask myself why, well, it's because I didn't have a whole lot of certainty in other areas of my life. Yeah. And so this was one of the few areas where I could have certainty. I'm certain that I can please myself in the moment. Mm. But of course, I didn't realize being a young kid how much displeasure, dispossession that led to in the long run or even in the you know uh, medium run, gaining a lot of weight, but also feeling sluggish, tired, unhealthy, lethargic. Those things were, uh, you know, those were all excess. It was a type of accumulation. Mm-hmm. We'll put a link to this in the show notes, you can check out uh, all of them, um, all 21 of the principles in the path of aloneness. Another one of them is do not fear death. Mm. That's a practical one because you're not going to get out of here alive. Yeah. <clears throat> it's funny because I've like accepted death, but I don't, and I don't fear it, but I'm really going to miss living. <laughs> The thing is, like, I don't know if we're going to miss it. Yeah. What, I don't know what happens after this, right? And any of us, like, we all have theories about it, right? Sure. But 
maybe I'm going to look back and be like, oh, wow. Or maybe I become a 4D being and, you know, it's all, you know, it, when, when you start to look at metaphysics and mm-hmm. quantum physics sure. and you start to, to zoom out, you realize like a 4D being, it would be like what traditional like Christians or Islam would look at as God as like, right. So we're temporal beings, right? We exist within finite time and space, but if you are live on a fourth dimension plane, mm-hmm. be, be very similar to how if you and I look at a two dimensional plane, mm-hmm. it's just on a piece of paper, right? Mm-hmm. But a 4D being can see all time at once. Mm-hmm. They're not temporal, right? Mm-hmm. Or a ninth dimension being would be like the singularity, right? It's mm-hmm. all there and a, a, a speck. Um, I don't understand a whole lot about that. And it's, my mind starts to explode when I... Me too. Right. But also it helps me not fear death in yeah. a way. There's some really cool, uh, if you look up on YouTube, like, yeah, fourth dimension or different, you know, dimensions beyond the third dimension. There's some really cool explanations on YouTube, although it makes my mind go crazy too. You know what else makes my mind go crazy? Time dilation. Tell me about it. Time dilation is basically like the f- closer you are to gravity, the faster time moves. Yeah. And like literally the satellites that are orbiting when they first shot them up, they kept getting out of sync and they couldn't figure out why. And then they were like, oh, Einstein has this theory about time dilation and gravity. So they had to set the clocks just a little bit different. Right. Like nanoseconds. Uh-huh. But those nanoseconds were throwing everything off. So, um, yeah, long story short, like just look up time dilation. It really is. It is mind blowing, man. It is like, like how does gra- gravity affects the passing of time? That it's, That's just that thought alone is pretty insane. Do you still believe in gravity? <laughs> I know it's just a theory, man. What are you, a flat earther? It's just your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about a couple things there. One thing that's really been helping me with my healing, and I, we're next week we're, we're bringing uh, Clint Ober on the podcast to talk about grounding. Mm. I also want to talk to him about PEMF, pulse electromagnetic frequencies. So mm. we think about EMF like... Uh, electro smog, 5G towers and Wi-Fi, you know, uh, certain people have extreme sensitivities to EMF, right? So much so that some people have to go like live in the desert or think about um, Better Call Saul, Jimmy's brother. Remember he had r- extreme introvert or extreme. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. That's a- allergic reaction to EMF. Yeah. And he had like cut all the wires out of his house. Everything was like covered in foil. Yeah. Yeah. And some people do have extreme reactions to EMFs, but we all have some, it's like, it's called electro smog, right? And it's, the problem is, especially in a big city like this, it's happening all around us. There's a website that'll tell you how many towers are close to your house. Mm. And I tell you the house where we are buying and moving to has far fewer towers near it. Than where you live now. I mean, or orders of magnitude, like a thousand versus three. Dude, I don't know what's going on, but the area you live in, and I won't sit here and tell people where you live, uh-huh. it should be blazing fast internet and great coverage. It's one of the worst coverage spots in the city. It's because it's so dense. Is that what it, even if I have like fi- five bars of 5G, like I still can't open up a web page like 90% of the time. Yeah, it's it's pretty dense. I mean, there's so many towers there is the yeah. problem too. Like there's um, already a ton of towers and 
who knows what all of this electro smog is doing to us specifically. I read a couple of really great books. Uh, one is called Healing is Voltage by Dr. Jerry Tennant. Mm. What a wonderful book that is. It is. It's real thick. Uh, it's about PEMF, which is pulse electromagnetic frequency. There's like good and bad EMF is the way I would look at it. Or mm. a better way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Natural EMF, PEMF, and man-made EMF, which is the electricity and the radio waves and all of these other things that we're subjecting ourselves to without realizing that mm. we're subjecting ourselves to it. Hmm. It's a type of smog, electro smog. Hmm. And uh, the other book is called PEMF, The Fifth Element of Health. It's a nice short introduction to PEMF. And it's written by a guy named Bryant A. Myers, I believe. Uh, wonderful book. And it really has uh, helped me better understand a lot of these uh, invisible factors that are going into our disease, but also that can go into our healing. So I've been doing PEMF therapy. I was going to a doctor's office for a while until I bought a PEMF device myself. Uh, I can't recommend it yet, although I can tell you tremendous healing has happened just in the last three weeks. Mm. Tremendous healing. Mm. And um, you can check out the science behind it by reading one of those books. But what I recognize is that grounding was really the first thing that led to serious healing in my own life. Mm. And it wasn't about getting more. It was about getting back to the natural order of things. Mm. We've cluttered our lives with so much toxins, electrotoxins, uh, chemical toxins. You know, since World War II, there are 100,000, I think it's 99,000, we'll call it 100,000 new chemicals 1% have been tested by the EU. That means 99,000, roughly, chemicals we've introduced. We don't know what they're doing to our bodies. No wonder cancer is through the roof, illness is through the roof, autoimmune disease is through the roof. And it's not one particular cause. It's not like, well, it all has to do with chemicals or it Mm -hmm. has to do with, you know, medications that we're taking or pharmacological solutions. Yeah. Or it has to do with our disconnection from the earth. We're no longer grounding. Or it has to do with the processing of foods or the pesticide. All of these things contribute to our toxic environment that is making us unhealthy. Yeah. We're also experiencing toxic materialism. Yeah. That is making us stressed and anxious. Like this culmination of so many. Yeah. Dude, speaking of plastics, I was like reading this uh, something on Reddit with someone who worked at a a company that works with a lot of plastics. I won't name the company because I don't want to like get sued or anything, but they're essentially saying how one of the, it was like the CFO uh, or the COO was talking about how the BPA thing, like they, they take BPAs out of certain plastics, mm-hmm. but then they just inject it with other things. BPC or uh, BPBs. Yeah. There's a- that, that are just as toxic or more toxic, yes. but they just haven't been tested yet. That's right. Yeah. It's crazy. They're not, so just because something is BPA-free doesn't mean it's like good for you yeah, anything, or not toxic. Anything that you're eating or drinking out of that's plastic is leaching into your body. Here's a, a stat yeah. for you. The average American, so the average person in the Western world, consumes enough microplastic to make a credit card every week. No way. A credit card. Gasp. I know, right? That is insane. <laughs> yeah. And this is what we're doing to ourselves. Now, there are ways to to combat that by avoiding plastic bottles, 
by uh, avoiding plastic cl- cutlery or mm. plastic packaging. But then also there are ways to detox as well, getting into saunas, sweating yeah. through exercise, breathwork exercise, etc. Anyway, check out this asceticism article. This is uh, the entry for The Path of Aloneness. I know we got some surprise questions this week. Let me see what we got here. Oh, before we get into that, I want to talk to you about death some more, Ryan. Yeah, I, I see you got a note right here. Yeah, let's talk about it. So TK Coleman almost died last week. It's insane. Hit it's by a, a car. Like, like legit, yeah. Actually hit. Like I was hit last month, but like in a, a just a simple way where like I ended up on my both hands on the hood. Mm. They, they nudged my, I was crossing the street. They didn't see me. They're getting ready to turn right and they're looking left, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden they just turn right and I'm go- I'm crossing in front of them and they nudge me. Yeah. Both of my hands end up on top of the car. I'm mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. But this lady isn't paying attention. And in fact, when she got caught by the police, she just kept saying, I didn't see him. I didn't see him. I didn't see him. Like she was, you know, and right. obviously TK had compassion for her, but sure. also she wasn't paying attention and she hit him yeah. and had he not jumped on top of the car as he got hit and then knocked to the ground scraped up probably internal bleeding almost certainly a concussion because he didn't remember where he was or who he was for a while yeah had he gone under the car though he wouldn't be here anymore and so he and i talked about this on the phone this week and i told him that everything after this is all bonus time yeah He's like, man, this is that's the best perspective that anyone's given me on mm. this. And I remember this happening to me and to you at different points. You almost died. You got into a car crash 2014. Yeah, January 2014. Yeah. Uh, someone ran you off the road accidentally yeah. in Washington State. Mm-hmm. It was snowy. Mm-hmm. You're coming back from Seattle, I think. Dude, we, yeah. yeah, that was crazy. We drove from Banff, Canada to Vancouver, Canada in the winter. Oh. It was in, like literally like the the roads were closing behind us. We were in this winter storm and uh yeah, like just keeping up with the storm and stuff. I was seeing like the route we were taking, they were just like slowly closing everything behind us cuz it was that bad. And then of course, like we're in the probably the you know, the best weather we had gotten on that whole trip. <laughs> <laughs> in Washington, we're just like, you know, three and a half hours from home. And yeah, we uh, we got ran off the road because of um, some negligence. But yes, negligence. That, and so yeah. negligence, especially on the road, it's weird because driving is one of those things. It's the perfect task for thinking because it does require a certain amount of focus, mm-hmm. right? But it also, your mind works well when it has something to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the best places to think is when when you're driving or when you have some other task mm-hmm. that you can really hone in on in your mount, mind doesn't have the opportunity to bounce away to a hundred different things mm-hmm. because you do have something to focus on. Mm-hmm. But when you're not focusing enough, negligence happens. Mm-hmm. And I remember when you almost died there and it got me thinking the same way with TK that these days after the crash... In fact, I wrote a short story called Days After the Crash. Mm -hmm. They are, it's all bonus time now, man. Now, we can live a life like that right now. It doesn't require the inciting incident. 
It doesn't require that you need to get into an accident or, or be harmed or go through some catastrophic, tr- catastrophic event. Mm-hmm. You don't need your mom to die and your marriage to end in the same month. You don't have to flip your car. You don't have to get hit by a car like our friend TK. Mm. You can recognize that it's all bonus time because anything yeah. could have happened right now where you are no longer here. And so this is bonus time. So why not live well? Why are we saying yes to things that we want to say no to? Are you going to be glad a year from now, two years from now, that you said yes to the things you said yes to today? Mm. Are you going to be grateful for it? Or are you going to be like, oh, man, why did I waste my time doing that? Whether it's watching TV or attending another meeting or spending time with a toxic relationship. Am I going to be glad that I said yes to these things? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to look back and say, oh, that was a waste because I wasn't living well. Because Mm -hmm. I wasn't living well, I was wasting my life. I was wasting all this bonus time. Mm. Yeah, I love that perspective, man. Yeah, it's like a lot of the times I, uh, I don't know, man. I'll ask myself like, uh, you know, Let's say that I was like paraplegic and then today I got all the function of my body back. Like, what would I do with that? And um, yeah, I mean, there is, yeah, it is helpful to kind of just different techniques I use to help me do the most with this bonus time. That's a, that's a perspective, right? Because Sam Harris has a great. That's just what I was going to mention. You mentioned that thought experiment of Sam Harris's. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's why it's really powerful is because. We can be in a situation where I'm really anxious. Like this morning, we had a interview that mm-hmm. we both forgot about <laughs> with The Hill. And oh, yeah. at 8.58, I just panic. And I'm like, oh my God, I forgot. There's a... And then 9.20, I have an interview. And so I hop out of the shower. Yeah. And I get ready as quickly as I can, yeah. run out the door, run down the hallway. Mm-hmm. I have back drive me here, drop me off. I get here right on time, you know, like three minutes to spare. And which is late for me. If I have thrown, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm panicked. Right. Oh dude. Yeah. I remember, um, not, yeah. There's oftentimes where like, you'll be a minute or two late and I'm like, Oh my God, Josh is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I like to show up to things like dramatically or like we record usually at 10 AM. I like to be here by nine. Mm-hmm. And, and give myself a buffer. Even if I'm walking in or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. I, I have time. It, or when I leave, uh, the the thing that I, I try to do is I try to give myself enough time that if I got a flat tire, I would still arrive on time if I had to change the tire. Right. Now, it, there's not a scenario where you can do that every single time, but it also means that I'm waiting a lot more and I'm not scheduling as many things. Mm-hmm. But that brings me peace personally. Mm. And... But I was thinking this morning, like, how much money would I pay? This is the Sam Harris experiment. Like, say we almost got to a wreck, too, because a car swerved over into our lane this morning. Goodness. We had no control over it. Yeah. Bex had to slam on her brakes. Mm. And like, yeah. Mm. And now, how we imagine we got to a bad accident and something bad happened to Bex. Yeah. How much money would I pay? All of it? A billion dollars? I'd go into debt for a billion dollars to avoid that, right? Yeah. Like... So I would pay a billion dollars to get right back to this moment where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Why the hell am I so anxious? Yeah. And as soon as you have that perspective, that anxiety just 
drains out. It starts to melt away. Is there? Did he write an essay on that, Sean, or what? Do you know what it was? Was it just like a podcast he did? Or? No, I think he talked about it when I, I interviewed him for Minimalism. Yes, yeah, so it was the same. Uh, okay. I can't remember exactly when, but yeah. Okay, cool. Cool, cool. Which you can find all the bonus. There was like six hours of bonus interviews from Minimalism over at minimalismfilm.com. Oh, that's right. If you're interested in, in more. If you're a true, true fan. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, we talked about the many shapes and sizes of excess. We've talked about excess stuff, obviously. Excess debt. Here's what I'll say. Anything other than mortgage debt is excess debt. And even mortgage debt is not something that I want. Right. No one is grateful to ha- to owe money to somebody else. Right. I, I mean, I'm grateful for, you know, I can see being grateful for a home and having a roof over my head. Like, I mean, the the debt is a tool, but never... Am I writing a mortgage payment and saying, thank God I owe this money? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, or maybe just the other way to look at it is like, if I had two options, no mortgage payment or right. mortgage payment, right? I'm going with the no payment option. Uh, yes. I would prefer to own this out. And the same is true with taxes. Like mm-hmm. I can't avoid the taxes, right? Mm-hmm. I saw this meme yesterday, and it was, I think, or a few days ago during on tax day, and it was... It was like Snoopy writing a letter to the IRS and it said, Dear I, I sent it to you. Yeah, Dear so IRS, please take me off your list. <laughs> please take me off your mailing list. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm in the middle of buying a house right now. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about it. Uh, we'll actually do an episode about home ownership in the future and we mm-hmm. can dive deep pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I, I'll tell you personally, without a family, I, I wouldn't do it. I don't have the desire to. I value the asceticism mm-hmm. aspect of of yeah. not owning virtually anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I found a detente that worked for us. And I yeah. essentially had to put my life savings down as a deposit, mm-hmm. not deposit, a uh, well, the, the down payment. Right. Yeah, 20% down payment. It was a little more than 20%. But yeah. um, putting down that money, you know, you are parting with a serious... A chunk of change and yeah. it makes you start asking a whole bunch of questions like is it worth it yeah Dude, tell me about it really deliberate as opposed to if a company just comes to you and says it's zero percent financing zero dollars down mm-hmm. what does that do to us often it takes away our agency mm. it makes us act on impulse yeah it encourages us to overspend to buy something we may not need with money we haven't yet earned. Yeah. And then why am I doing this? Is it to impress people? I don't know. I want them to make f- make them feel something about me. Mm-hmm. Well, how how's that working out for you? Yeah. Are you impressing everyone with all of your achievements? Mm-hmm. And if so, do you have to keep achieving more and more and more? Mm-hmm. It's why a lot of people get in trouble, right? Because they'll be on social media and they'll do something that has a relatively high gratuitousness threshold mm-hmm. and, oh, I got a million likes, a million views, whatever. Well, now I have to surpass that. Right. Because everyone, look how everyone accepted me. Look, I have their acceptance. Mm-hmm. I need now. It's even worse because I've gotten their acceptance. Now I need to cling to it. I need to keep it. I need to do something more egregious. Yeah. Something more remarkable. Yeah. Something more stunning. And so we continue to do these things that are outside of our character, outside of what we want to do, but we're clinging to their acceptance. Yeah. 
We got some surprise questions today. Before we get to those, though, I know we got some questions from the live stream. Let's let's check in with the, our patrons on the live stream. We have a question from Karen. I read an article that during the pandemic, some people dealt with the stress by shopping excessively. Psychologists said that this could be a symptom of burnout. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's just a symptom of humanity. I mean, you know, shopping is a very quick fix to boredom. And when you're at home, uh, you got nothing to do. Going to Amazon and browsing and shopping is a way to... It's a way to kill time. And, you know, when you bring something into your life, you get that dopamine rush. Oh, I really need X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Or my life will be a little bit better if I have X, Y, and Z. So not only are you going through the motions of uh, purchasing money, which will raise dopamine, and then you hit that buy button, that raises dopamine, and then it gets shipped to your house. That is another dopamine hit. You unbox it, another dopamine hit. And then, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's no surprise to me that online shopping went up. I wonder if that includes groceries. Cause I know like Mariah and I, we started doing way more online shopping with, with groceries. So I've never bought groceries online. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, when I'm, I say, when I say groceries, I mean, um, us wellness meats. Mm. And I mean, uh, I forget what it's called, but they send you basically, it's like a farmer's market basket that they send you yeah. um, a box a week. So it was like it was like a little fruit and veg and then some meat. But like we didn't like we didn't actually like get, you know, Whole Foods order delivered to us or anything. Yeah. Like now, that. part of the reason shopping went up was out of necessity. Certain stores were closed for a period of yes. time or their shelves were empty. And yeah. so so I'm wondering if that stat takes that into consideration. Alabama's. She's gonna give me some more water. Thank you, oh, Alabama. Nice. So yes, we started shopping more online. Mm-hmm. Online shopping is not inherently bad or no, evil not. or wrong mm -mm. or detrimental. But what's the why? If we start shopping more online, why am I doing this? Well, if it's because I'm incomplete and this thing will complete me, mm. that's consumerism. Consumerism is a religion. Mm -hmm. It's an ideology. Mm -hmm. If I buy more things, I will be more complete. Which is an oxymoron in some sense. So you can't be more complete. Imagine you, you make a puzzle, a thousand piece puzzle. How do I make this more complete? By getting a thousand and first piece. We, 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 yeah, what's what we try to do though? You think about yeah. it. Your life's already complete. It's already a complete puzzle. And we try, well, let me get some more puzzle pieces in here. Right. Well, what does that do? It incompletes the puzzle. It starts a new puzzle. Right. <laughs> and these puzzles, we then we start... 17 different puzzles at once mm -hmm. and we're stressed out, we're anxious. Why aren't I more complete? Well, I haven't, and I've completed 12 of these, but now five of them are incomplete. Mm. And then I feel incomplete as a result. Mm. You were making some audible noises over there. You got anything to say, Danny? You got to use the mic. About, gro about grocery shopping. Oh yeah, what about? I, I like both, right? So I don't box myself into... I don't online shop or I do. You don't online. renounce or like commit. Yeah. Yeah. To one. What, I, what I will say is that for me, I'm less impulsive online. Ah. Because yes. for whatever reason, I find enjoyment in, or it's kind of like a, a fun event to go to the grocery store. 
um, me and Amy go, but that's where impulse comes. Oh, why don't we make this and yeah. then make this recipe? And if we don't have a great plan, a great list, Max Lugavere helped with that. Mm-hmm. Make a list, stick to it. Right. Um, so I will we'll, we'll kind of go with the seasons if we're really busy and we don't have a lot of time yeah. to grocery shop, go online. Yeah. But if also we'll, we'll go the opposite way sometimes too, where if we have some time and hey, maybe we don't want to go to a museum and spend money or go to a Dodger game, spend money. Mm-hmm. Let's go grocery shopping and spend money on a fun event that we like doing together. Mm-hmm. But that's what I really enjoy about the minimalism, right? Yeah. It's not one or the other. It's, kind of what is going to serve you. Yeah. And that changes in the season of life that we have in different chapters. So I don't know. I like grocery shopping online. I like doing it in person. I don't box myself into either one. Right. I just feel out what the mood is for that week or month. You just do so intentionally. I do like that idea. It's like, because the, the shopping list rule mm-hmm. that we've talked about before is you have a list, you go to the store, you get nothing from that store that isn't on that list. Right. It's, and it's inconvenient sometimes because be like, oh, I meant to write down avocados, but I didn't. It's like, you know, creates creates a little bit of friction. But like when you're shopping online, you have no choice but to follow the list. Although I'm sure there's like some recommend, like that's what drives me crazy about um, like we'll, we'll order, you know, food every once in a while and have it delivered to us. And as you're checking out, it's like, would you like to add these yum yum buns for an extra three dollars? <laughs> <extra $3? laughs> what about this chocolate covered steak for an extra 20? <laughs> <laughs> I um I probably go to the grocery store almost every day. And so we often tell ourselves I don't have time to do something like that, right? Mm. It's like, well, yeah, it's just what do I prioritize? And right. the reason I do that is I don't keep extra stuff in the house because mm. I'll eat it. And then I'll experience <laughs> discontent related to autoimmune symptoms, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so I'll give you an example. I've been able to eat a lot more fruit lately, but if I eat too much, it'll make me feel ill. So like mm. I'll have a banana every day and I'll have like um, uh, an orange mm-hmm. or a mandarin. Mm-hmm. But if I buy the bag of mandarins and bring them home, I'll eat the bag. of. Ma- so what I'll do, I live half a mile from the grocery store. So it's a one mile walk to and from. Mm-hmm. And so I will intentionally at night, just after dinner, I'll walk down and go buy a banana. And a mandarin. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or I'll buy just yeah. one and uh, I'll buy a mandarin at lunch. Yeah. And, and so like, I'll go there and I'll set it on the calendar and they're like, that's uh, <laughs> 37 cents, please. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you drive a hard bargain. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I say that same thing when I check out of places. That's that's like my, I think that's my dad's joke I stole from him. Anyway. <laughs> we no, got some do, surprise questions today. You want to get um, to any of those? or? Yeah, I guess so. I was just going to say, um, I'm a really bad friend because like I will go to someone house's house for dinner and it's like, wh- what can I bring? And uh, they're like, most of the time, they're like, well, grab something for dessert. So like, I'll grab, like, I just did this the other day, stopped at grocery store and I got a piece of like apple pie, mixed berry pie, and pecan pie. And I got like a little thing of ice cream and they were so happy. Like when I brought, oh, like this is going to be awesome. And it was awesome. But there was like leftover stuff and they're like, take it with you. I'm like, no. <laughs> this is your burden now. <laughs> I will eat that if I take it with me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, all right. Uh, oh, I did want to talk to before we before we get into our surprise questions. On the minimal episode, we had a question from Chris, Kristen, and Kristen was asking about. Well, she said, "Do you have any tips on how to cut down on excessive?" screen time. So she has 
excess screen time in her mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And she's recognized that it's making her miserable, which is actually the first step because mm-hmm. sometimes we're just so caught up in it. We don't realize what it's doing to us. Right. I see this in my daughter who's eight. If we just were to give her a tablet all day and she were to stare at it, she starts to get in a bad mood, but doesn't realize what is causing that bad mood. But it's the fact she's not moving and she's so tuned in with mm-hmm. this glowing screen. Yeah that it is preventing her from living her life. Nothing wrong with the glowing screen, but when we have excess of screen time, that certainly becomes a problem. So, yes, Kristen, I have six best practices for you on this Maximal episode. The first one is called Screenless Saturdays. Mm. Something Ryan and I came up with. Jordan did a great job. He, analog, filmed a video. Podcast Sean recorded the audio analog as well. (laughs) So you can check out the Screenless Saturdays trailer on YouTube. We talk about living a screenless Saturday life. So once a week, you can throw your phone in a drawer and go out and get lost with someone. Live without screens. There's three different ways to do it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can identify whether the simple or the, I'm sorry, the easy, the intermediate, or the more aggressive way to live screenless on Saturdays, just mm-hmm. one day a week, but you learn a whole lot about yourself in the process. Yeah. The second tip I have for you is something I call all day grayscale. Like while it's light outside, turn your phone to grayscale. Why is that? Well, you can do it on any type of phone, iPhone or Android phone. You go into your settings. They don't make it really easy, but just Google iPhone grayscale, you'll find it's relatively simple once you have the instructions. And you go in there, turn your phone to grayscale, and it makes it so boring and it's not enticing anymore. And when your phone is less enticing, you spend less time on the phone. You're not worried about getting on the Instagram, TikTok, and so forth as much because you've rendered them mm. much less enticing. Number three is social media detox. How do we do that? We remove all social media apps from our phone. No more Instagram, no more TikTok, no more Twitter, no more Facebook, no more Yik Yak, Ryan. (laughs) 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 And the reason we do that doesn't mean we can't visit those things. We can set aside time to visit them on our own from our desktop. Or if I really want to post a picture to Instagram or a video, I can go download the app post it, and then remove the app from my phone. So that's your third tip here, the third best practice. Number four, I call this time-restricted digital fasting. And so it's just like fasting when you're eating. Mm -hmm. So time-restricted intermittent fasting, Mm -hmm. where you go 18 hours without food or 12 hours or whatever. Is there a period of the day? Maybe it's from 8 p.m. until 8 a.m., where you can have a digital fast Mm. and you simply put your phone in a drawer or in its location for a period of time during that, those fasting hours, you still have access to it if you absolutely need it in an emergency, Mm -hmm. but otherwise you're fasting from the screen, not all day, but for a 12 hour window throughout the day. Mm. And if you want to get, if you want to get aggressive, maybe it's longer than 12 hours. Mm. The next one is connected to that. Cal Newport calls it the foyer rule. Or if you're rich, it's the foyer rule. Or you could be pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) But you repeat myself. (laughs) And so the foyer means like, I don't carry my phone around like the 79th Oregon all throughout my house. Mm -hmm. 
I put it in one place as soon as I get home. For me, it's the junk drawer because I don't have a I don't have a foyer or a foyer. But as soon as you walk in, I have a very tiny kitchen and there's a junk drawer there. And I'll just put the phone in that drawer so I have access to it. If I need to get to, I need to make a phone call, I want to send a text message, it's not on the couch with me or at the dining room table with me or in bed with me. Mm. I've restricted my access to my phone while I'm at home. Mm. I still can use it if I need to, but I'm not pulled around by the tug of the glowing screen. Mm. And then finally... The last best practice here is eliminating the top three tech distractions in your life. So that could be your television, or Mm -hmm. maybe it's your television in the bedroom. Getting the TV out of the bedroom radically improves your sex and sleep life. So not having a TV in the bedroom was a big one for me. Not having email on my phone, Mm -hmm. huge distraction for me because someone has the opportunity to really mess up my day just by sending me an email that I've. I say mess up my day. It's not like it ruins my day, but now I feel compelled. Oh, you know, I really have to respond to Danny. He said it was urgent, right? Mm -hmm. And so now his urgency has become my emergency. Mm -hmm. And so these tech distractions, for other people, it's games, right? If you have games on your phone, constantly going to the games. Or for me, at one point, it was the news app. That was another tech distraction I had to remove because the news was stressing me out. And so find what are the top three things that distract you and removing those from your life? That's one of the great ways to simplify your screen time. I saw a stat. I forget what it was, but it was mind-blowing. The amount of couples getting divorced who cited Candy Crush, like legitimately the game Candy Crush, as one of the reasons why (laughs) they were splitting up. Not the reason, but like in a list of reasons, Candy Crush was listed in like, I want to say it was 30% of, 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 yeah, of divorcees. One of the stats in Love People Use Things is millennials say the majority of millennials, so it's over 50%, have texted someone else during sex. Mm. Man, I put my phone on silent during sex before because it was going off. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus, this is distracting. <laughs> We got some surprise questions. Let's dive into a few of them, Alabama. How about we start with Claire? I'm so sick of advertisements on social media. Me too. That, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Mm. That I'm considering quitting the internet oh altogether. How do I do that without cutting off the social connections? <sighs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because we, it's like, we used to live without all this stuff not that long ago. And like now we feel like we're isolating ourselves if we don't have it. Yes. But, you know, the question is, I don't know how old Claire is, but Claire, if you're my age, you know, think about 25 years ago when this didn't exist. How did you stay social? How did you keep involved? It certainly wasn't with social media. But yeah, I mean, how how do you do that? There are different ways to do that. But yeah, I, I am totally with her. I cannot stand. I just can't stand all the ads. It just drives me crazy. Like Snapchat is the absolute worst mm-hmm. with ads. Like it's... <clears throat> it's unbelievable. Like it's funny because they create all this like original content and it used to get me every once in a while, but they do such a crappy job of, cause it's like an eight second clip and then a 30 second ad, then an eight second clip, then like a 10 second ad. I mean, it's like, anyway, um, I, I feel your frustration, Claire. So for me, yeah, I cut out like Snapchat. I don't, I don't use that piece of it. There's like a couple of group groups that I'm in that like, 
I keep in contact with some people and that's great. And we share our lives and we joke around and we share funny memes or whatever it is. But um, I have cut out that original content piece of Snapchat. And that's maybe what you need to do, Claire, is just figure out what you need to cut out. I wouldn't renounce everything altogether, but maybe start with the two biggest uh, apps or whatever pieces of an app that are giving you the most trouble right now. There's a great book by Cal Newport called Digital Minimalism. And in there, he had 1,600 people do a 30-day declutter of their social media, and he called it a digital declutter. Yeah. And it started with really any technology that was getting in the way. So mm. Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it might be, YouTube. So any new tech that was getting in the way. Now, there was other tech, like your microwave or your toaster, like that's technology, but that, that's mm. not what we're talking about here. These things are not distracting you. Because here's the problem, Claire. We often confuse being connected with connection. But our connectedness is actually removing our connection from the people we care about the most, the people that we love. And so, in a way, the digital clutter in our lives leads to a discontentment because we've lost the connectivity with the people closest to us. It mimics the form. It makes us think we're connected. But just because you follow someone, it doesn't mean that you are connected to them. Ooh, yeah. You are following what they're creating. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. No. So I think one thing that you can do is you can do a 30-day digital declutter experiment where you remove literally all of those distractions. Now, it might mean removing your phone altogether. You don't necessarily have to do that. But in doing that, you'll realize the things that were getting in the way. You're temporarily depriving yourself. And then after the 30 days, you very slowly and intentionally bring back in the things that you're certain will add value, only if it's 100% necessary. Mm. But if you can figure out how to get by without it, you'll notice how your connections improve along the way. Yeah, it's hard not to look at, you know, Facebook and see, oh, I've got 500 friends. It's like, no, you don't. You have 500 voyeurs. That's <laughs> what you have. That's what John Deloney said next week, or last week, you, you, um, the average person has a thousand Facebook friends, but can't find someone to help them move their couch. Mm. So, yeah. You have friends in quotes. Uh, and you know, what's crazy is all the, like all the friends I've made in Los Angeles since living here has nothing to do with social media. Not one. I mean, all the connections I have, I could I could get rid of social media tomorrow and I still would have a very social life. I can't say the same thing, but what I can say is that any meaningful relationship that I've developed bec- that started online, the mm-hmm. online piece was an on-ramp. Mm-hmm. And so let me be clear about that. So when I, I met Jamie Kilstein, I met him on Twitter, right? Right. And so... In a way, you met him because I met him on Twitter, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, but that on-ramp said, hey, yeah, let's grab coffee. Yeah. And from there, we actually developed a in-person relationship, interactions, Mm -hmm. a connection, a real connection, not a online connection. Yeah. So I often use social media or technology. There's a lot of guests we've had because of technology. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And so they're, what they've created was delivered to us via a social media app, mm-hmm. right? And that's wonderful. But we use that as an on-ramp. And you don't stay on the on-ramp when mm-hmm. you're traveling. Mm-hmm. That on-ramp gets you off of the highway, mm-hmm. the social media highway, into something more personal, more meaningful. We have a question here from Fabian. How do we manage expectations from others that exceed our own? Well, Fabian, I think the problem is you're trying to manage others' expectations. <laughs> <laughs> I get, I understand this because I, as a three on the Enneagram, always tried to manage other people's expectations of me, right? Yeah, man. And not mm. realizing that what I'm really doing is changing my own expectation. Mm-hmm. When I could reduce my own expectation, when I no longer expect them to have a different expectation of me, then there's nothing to manage at all. Yeah, dude. I have, it's taken me 40 years to not worry about other people's expectations. But like I had someone essentially attack me yesterday about, you know, just like like over text attack me about, you know, uh, their expectations. I'll just leave it at that. And I wasn't meeting their expectations. And I was like, huh, that sounds like a you problem. It doesn't sound like a me problem. Like if I look in the mirror, if I'm, you know, living a genuine life, like that's all I can do. I can't, I can't manage other people's expectations. Um, They can manage their expectations. But for me to sit here and like, I mean, my day almost got ruined because of it. Mm. And I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. Like, this is not, like I care about this person. I love this person. Um, but you know, this is, this is a them problem and you know, I can't control, you know, after I do the best I I can do to be myself, I can't control the way they perceive me. I can't control what they expect from me. And I certainly can't live up to their expectations. And I did this in a very kind way of saying, like, I didn't say that sounds like a you problem. I did not say that to him, but it was more of a, a very kind way of saying, Hey, like, I'm sorry that you have these expectations. Um, A, I didn't realize you had these expectations. Um, you know, but B, uh, the expectations that matter to me the most are my own. And those, I have a hard enough time managing my own expectations, let alone worrying about someone else's. Yeah. And ultimately I want to let go of my own expectations, my own beliefs, my own preferences in a way. We were talking about that earlier with respect to asceticism, because those things often get in the way of my peace. Mm-hmm. If my preference is so strong, then that becomes an expectation of mm-hmm. mine. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, it is possible, and what you're demonstrating here, Ryan, it is possible to love someone and not meet their expectations. Mm-hmm. And in fact, often the way to love someone is to refuse to meet their expectation. Right. Because you love them. You don't want to contort yourself and change yourself in a way that is disingenuous. Mm-hmm. You don't want to harm yourself. Self-harm is not a way to love someone. Mm. Self-harm is a way that you unlove yourself mm. in order to meet someone else's demands of you. Because really, that's what an expectation is when you think about it. When someone says, I have this expectation, and if you don't meet it, I'm going to lash out at you in some way. Either I'm going to disapprove of you, I'm going to look at you differently, I'm going to scorn you or shame you, what they're really doing is battering you mm-hmm. with their demands. Their expectation has turned into a demand. And if you don't meet it, well, then you aren't accepted by me. Yeah. 
And that's unloving. Mm. Amen. You could TikTok that, Danny. You know what? I say, Ryan, we could do one or two more. What do you think? At least one. What about Jess's question? How do excessive choices and endless options of items in store and online contribute to overconsumption? We talked about the fear of missing out earlier and recognizing that we're always missing out on something. And that's actually a beautiful thing. That's how we get peace. Because when you go into the middle of the woods, you don't try to touch every tree. Mm. You don't experience it by more, 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 more. You simply experience living. And sometimes you might touch a tree and other times you don't touch it at all, right? Mm. And so quite often what's happening here and they call it the paradox of choice. Mm. Marketers have even realized that if they offer you too many options, you might just throw your hands up and you walk away from the website or the store or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's why marketers often offer, often offer the three best choices, a good, better, best scenario. Now, sometimes that creates a false demand. They want you to buy the second choice. Mm-hmm. So they give you the theoretical crappy choice mm-hmm. below, not always, but sometimes they'll, they'll create a choice they, because they want you to spend more money here and they'll give you the best option for the person who wants the, the luxury option or whatever. Yeah. And yes, it makes us feel inadequate because there are so many things I can't possibly have all of them and it stresses us out. It's anxiety. It's literally chaos. Mm-hmm. Now you go into a store and it's organized in a way, but it's organized chaos. It's still chaos order comes from not from getting all of the things but from avoiding the things we don't need Mm. the things that get in the way avoiding the excess josh let me tell you a story about kit kats it was in japan uh back in 2015 16 uh mariah and i were lucky enough to like go over there spend some time we had a couple friends who were staying over there they actually stayed over there for like three or four months um and dude, like everywhere you go, there are, there are like, you know, different flavors of Kit Kats. So like 7-Eleven's huge over there. Like they, 7-Eleven basically did over there what like Ralph's or Kroger's or, you know, a shopping chain, name a shopping chain in the U.S. Like 7-Eleven is the shopping chain in, in Japan. Okay. So anyway, so like, uh, you just, you go to 7-Eleven for everything any anytime you need something. So, um, I would go in there and they've got like strawberry flavored Kit Kats. Dark chocolate flavored Kit Kats, wasabi flavored Kit Kats. Yeah, it's like yeah, um, uh, green matcha, green tea matcha flavored Kit Kats. Like it is, it's crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, because I am a glutton uh, uh, for food and for experiences, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try. Like we would go. It's not just me. Like it was a group of us, and we would, you know, we'd each have like a little nibble of like a flavor, right? Just mm-hmm. to say that we tried the flavor. So it was peer pressure, you're saying. Were you, <laughs> I, were you the one pressuring yeah, them? pretty much, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this for you guys. <laughs> so, um... Why do you make me hit you? Right, exactly. Uh, so, long story short, I, we eventually, like, the first week, we were there for, like, two weeks, and the first week we were there, we tried pretty much all the flavors. There's a like 7-Eleven right next to the place we were staying, and we pretty much tried, like, all the flavors of the Kit Kats, right? None of them were good. Uh, yeah, none of them. It was yeah. None of them were outstanding. None, none of them were outstanding. It's, I mean, a Kit Kat's a Kit Kat, you know, which isn't outstanding. Exactly. It was. It was interesting and it was unique. But yeah, like I would not recommend anyone else do this. Please learn from my mistake. Yeah, There's avoid no, the poison. Avoid the poison. Yeah. 
So ironically though, well, I don't know if it's ironic, but uh, uh, crazy enough, the wasabi flavor was like my favorite flavor, which is, you would think that sounds horrible, but it was, yeah. it was decent. Anyway, um, so we try all the flavors and I feel so complete. <sighs> oh, I've tried all the flavors of Kit Kats. Man, now I can say I'm happy. <laughs> and then we went to this random, like it was a super grocery store. And I forget why we went there. Like the people we were staying with had to go there to get something. It was a specialty item. And dude, there was like a whole aisle dedicated to Kit Kats. And there were like 20 different flavors I had not tried yet. And I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? Uh, But I was able to, I actually was able to like make peace with it in that I'm like, okay, dude, you're only here for another week. You're not going to bring back all these flavors. You're not going to sit here and and put more poison into your body. You've tried plenty of the Kit Casks, but it's funny because like they know exactly what they're doing, man. Uh They know exactly what they're doing. And eventually I was able to say no, but it wasn't until like I had already kind of had a little bit of regret and I was like, all right, I don't want any more regret. I'm done with the regret. So sometimes that regret leads you to build up the ability to say no, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the good news is you can say no before the regret. And one of the best ways to avoid regret is saying no to the things you are certain are going to make you unhappy in the not too distant future. Yes. You never look back and say, you know what, Ryan? I wish I would have eaten a Kit Kat last Tuesday. And I don't look back and say, thank God I tried all those Kit Kats. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice story for the podcast, but other right. than that, yeah, no way. Patrons, mm. thank you so much for being here. I want to leave you today. This is my original added value. So we're going to play you out with a song today from an artist. Her name's Gray, and this song is called Boxes. And really, it's a song that's about well, holding on too tightly, mm. refusing to let go. Here's some of the lyrics here. You can start the uh, you can start the music right now. I'm feeling nauseous, feeling a little too cautious. Kind of want to let it all go. Not that kid anymore. One poster at the time. I take them off the wall. Don't need them anymore. But I'm still holding on a little too hard. Mm. Beautiful. That's where we're, uh, that's where we are. This is the album called Whiplash. The album is called Whiplash. I think the- it's a sign that you need to watch the movie Whiplash. The drummer. <laughs> so- oh, it's a good movie. I dislike anyone who's a drummer. <laughs> He's gonna not watch it. Podcast <laughs> <laughs> Sean's flipping me off right now. He's gonna not watch it just to piss me off, <laughs> dude. How good was that movie, Sean? It was incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I've heard outstanding things about it. I just want to rib our good friend podcast, yeah. Sean. Isn't it funny, though? You could take a movie like Whiplash and make it about drumming, which you and I are not interested in at all. Yeah. But like I, me also having, you know, no interest in drumming, uh-huh. although I love and respect every drummer. <sighs> um, they, like they could have made it Thanks. about they could have made it about knitting, you know, like uh-huh. it, it would have been a good movie. Yeah. It sounds to me like it's about obsession and, and a few other. Yeah. Things. I was going to say it's it's more about the thematic things and, and just the superior um I mean, directing and acting. I mean, it's got J.K. Simmons in it. and Yeah, the yeah, acting's amazing. So good. Yeah. Well, enjoy this song from Gray. Her new album is called Whiplash. This song is called Boxes. Love people. Use things. We'll see you soon. Thank you, patrons. I'm feeling nauseous.